All right, yeah, you guys can be seated. Um, if you have kids in here, uh, we have our awesome Kid City teachers, volunteers. You can send the kids through uh, the back doors there. Um, and they'll love your kids. They'll teach your kids. They'll, I think they're giving them cupcakes today, so you might want to ask them about that. Uh, <laughs> give my daughters, make my daughters split one. Um, so... Really excited about this series we're in. Uh, as Michelle said earlier, it's called You and Me. It's a series on relationships. So last week we talked about friendships and what friendships should be, what, what how we should start uh, with a foundation of friendship in all relationships. Um, today we're going to talk about embracing your gender, and I'm going to be specifically talking to men. Next week we're going to do that for women, and then the following week we'll uh, talk about uh, relationships with, with uh, the other gender. So uh, the main focus of this series is really to strip away a lot of what our, our society and culture has put on what we think about relationships uh, and, and what we think about love. So we're taking a lot of, uh, we're trying to take the sexual off of the table. We're, we're, we're not thinking of friendships in terms of that. We're not thinking of relationships in terms of that. When we talk about, when I talk about men today, we're going to talk about men in terms of what does a male relationship look like with another male? What does a male relationship look like with another female? Uh, what does it look like when, uh, when we father people, when we're brothers, uh, when we're brothers and sisters, all things that Michelle mentioned earlier. And so I want to take the sexual out of this conversation. Okay, so if I can ask you like right now, to take relationships, and whether you realize it or not, our society has put that into your mind. Let's take that and then put it over here. Again, like I said last week, it's not that that's bad. Uh, we just want to build a foundation that doesn't have that in it right now. We're going to talk about that later on in the series, okay? So you see through the series, we're kind of building one on, on the other here. So um, some things I'm going to say today are going to be specific to men. Some things I'm going to say today uh, will go for men and women, uh, but today the whole sermon is going to be focused on applying these things to men. Does that make sense? So if you're uh, a single lady in here today, um, think about this series in term, or think about this sermon in terms of what does this tell me uh, about men and how I can build into my brother. If you're a married woman in here, Think about what does this tell me about men and how, and how I can build it to my brother. If you're a man in here today, single or married, this should tell you uh, what the Bible says about you and how God wants to build you up as a man in your masculinity, in your manhood. Okay, um, all that makes sense. You guys, you guys still tracking with me on that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we read First Timothy five one through two earlier. Older men speaking to younger men. Older women speaking to younger women. Uh, such a powerful, great passage. Um, if you look in, what we want to do today is I want to build into you men and raise you up. And if you look at history, if you look at society, when that happens, uh, when men are raised up, when men live up the standard that, that we're supposed to be living up to, uh, women are raised up. Women are, are raised up and exalted, okay? Um, 
when men don't live up to that standard, uh, women aren't raised up. Women are degraded and put down. Uh, this passage really speaks to that. When, when we take care of, when we take care of the, the younger men, when older men do that, when older men speak into my life, that raises me up and that raises everybody else up as well. So we want to think with that framework in mind. Okay. Um, but like I said, men and women are different. So some of the things today, I'm be talking specifically to men about, um, it doesn't mean that the genders are mutually exclusive, okay? Um, just because men are different from women doesn't mean that there's no overlap, okay? There is, there is some overlap. Um, but it does mean that there's some inherent differences. Uh, but this sermon isn't about that. A lot of times when you hear someone speak on manhood or womanhood uh, in the church, it's this really specific uh, niche, almost said niche. That's how we, we say it down in the South, niche market. Niche. It takes, I feel like I, a part of my manhood is lost when I say niche. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, niche. Uh, there, these sermons are really, have been focused on this niche market of um, what men should be. We end up, we end up talking about specific sins, for instance. Uh, you know, men, we always deal with anger or arrogance or pride or uh, lust or, you know, all these things. We end up talking to men about that. Or we end up being really harsh in tone because we think, oh, we need to be harsh for men because that's going to raise, that's going to raise us up. Or, um, or, uh, we talk about how men are, um, uh, men are, you know, men need to be strong or they need to work with their hands or, you know, all these things that are typical, like, men things that society has said that these are men things. Um, and we have all these social constructs of manhood. And we don't even realize it. If you think about it, um, don't answer out loud. Just, just think about this in your mind. Uh, we even judge people based on profession, okay? So what's, what's more manly, um, an accountant or a construction worker? Hey, I said Satan in your mind. <laughs> or, <laughs> or a firefighter or a barista, okay? Only in Toronto would barista <laughs> be more manly than a firefighter. <laughs> but we have this like, and it's this, um, this conception of what's more manly, and it's based on these, these social constructs of what we think is, is more manly. Um, and, and let's, let's take this even into, so let's, let's talk about, uh, the, the sexual first. Let's, let's take that, let's put that off the table. Um, a lot of our relationships are messed up because we've started with the sexual, okay? So the reason men can't interact with another woman um, uh, in a healthy way is because we're thinking, uh, do you think she's going to sleep with me? Um, does she have a boyfriend? Uh, you know, we're, we're, our mind immediately goes to that. Or the reason we can't interact with another man in a healthy way is because we think, oh, is he going to think, um, you know, I'm gay? Is he going to think I like him if I give him a hug? Is he going to think... Uh, we have all these things that, that have created boundaries. If you think, if you think about like the gay community, so take the gay community and take, uh, for lack of a better term, take the heterosexual community. Um, 
the sexual is a hindrance in both arenas, okay? In the gay community, the sexual is, is used for physical intimacy, to fulfill desire, to generate intimacy. In the heterosexual community, the sexual is a hindrance because we think, oh, what's going to happen if I am, uh, show some intimacy towards another man? Um, and so it becomes a hindrance to a relationship in both arenas, okay? So we want to take that, start with the foundation. If you look at Jesus in the New Testament, so let's take the Beatitudes, for instance. This is Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are uh, those who are persecuted, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the pure in heart, those who mourn, uh, the merciful. Like these aren't... These aren't typically male manhood characteristics. I'm like, I never say, oh, he's, he's a man because he uh, likes to mourn, because he is pure in heart, or because he's, he's a, a poor in spirit, or because he's a peacemaker. We don't champion those things as, as male characteristics. And Jesus here in the Beatitudes, when he establishes I mean, this is his first sermon when he says, usher in the kingdom, and he comes and he preaches this. He's establishing what basic personhood is, okay? He's establishing what basic personhood is. So this isn't male-specific, um, and this isn't female-specific. Uh, it's genderless here. He's establishing what a basic person in the kingdom looks like. Um, but if you notice, he doesn't say... Uh, blessed are those who exact vengeance, or blessed are those who are the most successful, or blessed are those who can fill all of their sexual desires. That's what our society raises up for men. If you look at movies, media, whatever, um, if you've been to university, like those are all the things that uh, we look at a man for. Um, is he successful? Uh, if someone punches him in the face, does he, does he punch him back and put him down? Uh, is he, can he fulfill any sexual desire he wants? Yeah, he's a man. Those are the things that our society values as, as uh, being a man. Jesus doesn't say those things. Um, those things are falsely associated with masculinity. Um, Jesus also doesn't even point out good characteristics that we associate with manhood. He doesn't say, blessed are those who provide for their families. Or blessed are those who stand up for what they believe in. Or blessed are those who have a good work ethic. Or those who take initiative. Or those who take responsibility. Like those are good characteristics. But he doesn't even point to those. Because he starts at the heart. What good is it if you take care of your family if you're never there? If you're working 80 hours a week? What good is it if you stand up for what you believe in, but you're boastful and arrogant and proud about it? What good is it if you have a good work ethic, if you're boastful and arrogant and proud? Like, it means nothing. So he starts at the heart, and he's laying a foundation for us. He's saying, there's something that underlies your manifestation as a woman and the way you live out as a woman and your manifestation as a man and the way you live out as a man. So these characteristics that we've looked at characteristics, they're actually more manifestations of something else, of a characteristic that's deeper than that. And we're going to talk about that this morning. So at the very basic level of our personhood, I'm going to give us three characteristics. Um, 
And again, this is genderless, but I'm going to apply this to men. Okay? Daniel's going to preach next week, and he's going to apply things to women. So remember, for you ladies in here, this sermon is still as much for you as it is for the men because uh, you live in a world that has men, and we need a lot of help. So um, please listen and, and, and then figure out how to lift us up. So I want to take this statement and take it through the sermon today. Um, masculinity is most clearly defined in the relationship between the father and the son. I'm talking about Jesus. Okay? So we realize, we're going to realize our masculinity when we are in Jesus Christ and have a relationship in him with the Father. So through Jesus to the Father. Okay? When Jesus, we're going to talk, to, talk about John 17 today. This passage is couched in four chapters that encompass Christ's last words to his followers. He spent his life with these guys. And, uh, and they are guys. Like this passage, even though it is, um, I believe we can apply this passage to all believers. When Jesus said these words, he was talking to 12 men sitting around a table with him. Okay? Um, that doesn't mean that we can only apply this to men. But just saying. He was talking to men here. Uh, and John 17 is specifically Jesus' prayer for these disciples and for the disciples that would come after them, his, his followers. So he's praying this to the Father. So what Justin read earlier, Jesus is praying, is, is praying this to the Father. It's, it's in his relationship with the Father. And that's why I say our masculinity is going to be defined by what we see there. So these three characteristics of personhood in Jesus Christ our particularity, integrity, and intimacy. Okay, um, we're gonna we're gonna talk about all those things. So let's start with particularity. Uh, the question I'll be answering here is, who are men? Who are we? So Jesus says in the first three verses here, 16 through 19. If you have your Bible, you can follow along in here. I'm gonna walk through the passage this morning. He says a lot of things about the world. He says, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. It's important here to recognize that the world isn't just what's, what we live in and what surrounds us. When, when he uses the word world here, he's specifically referring to that which appears hostile to God. So he's using the world and he's saying, this, this is hostile to God. This is something that is ruined. This is something that is depraved. This is lost in sin. It is wholly at odds with God. So when he says the world in this specific context, uh, that's what he's meaning. And he says that we are not of the world. If you are in Christ, you are not of the world. You're in the world, but you are not of it any longer. You're not at odds with God. You have access to the Father through me. Then he goes on in verse 17, he says, your word is truth, and, and you guys have that word. He says, you guys have it, and truth, truth brings life, okay? Truth brings life, it, it, um, it kills death, which sounds funny, but it does, it kills death, and makes death flee, and truth, truth brings freedom. And he says, you guys have that truth, and then he says, uh, not only that, you're not just not of the world, you don't just have the word that is truth, but you're also sanctified 
and your scent. Okay? This is in verses 18 through 19. Jesus says, I am consecrated. I am sanctified. I am set apart. I am dedicated. I am a sacrifice. He's talking about his, his death that's, that's approaching. He says, I've, I've been set apart in order that you would be set apart. I've been sanctified in order that you would be sanctified. I've been consecrated in order that you would be consecrated and set apart. Okay. Um, what's significant about that is that means that now if we are in Christ, we have the ability to sanctify others. That's a very powerful statement if you've, if you've uh, grown up in the church because you're probably like, whoa, I have the ability to make other people holy. And yes, <laughs> yes, you do. Uh, because you have the spirit who lives in you and you're in Christ. Uh, take a look at 1 Corinthians 7.14 where it talks about uh, an unbeliever in a marriage and a believer in a marriage and one person has become a believer. And he says, Paul says, you by your presence are making them more like Christ. Okay, so he says, stay in the marriage. Um, check that out later. Um, but based on Christ's consecration and his sanctification in us, we have the ability to raise others up to that level. Okay? We can look at 1 Peter for this, that our good deeds make others glorify God. We can look at 1 Corinthians 14, when people walk into the worship service. We can look at a whole bunch of different passages for this. That's a powerful statement for you guys who are followers of Jesus Christ. For you guys who consider yourselves believers today, that is very powerful. That when you walk into a place, you bring God's presence. When we worship here this morning, we've brought God's presence not just into this building, but into this neighborhood, into this section of downtown. You bring God's presence wherever you go. We are not only sanctified, but he says we are sent into the world to do that, to bring God's presence and his glory. And that's a mandate we have as believers. Now let's talk about men. So, okay. So raccoons are a problem in Toronto. Would you guys agree? Anyone have a problem with raccoons? If, you, <laughs> if you've ever been to Daniel and Linda's place, you know there's a raccoon problem in Toronto. <laughs> Daniel and Linda have this, I don't know, is he still around? The like Godzilla raccoon? This, this joker's like uh, 30 pounds. I don't know if he's 30 pounds, but he's huge. Um, and, yeah, and whenever the, the, girls, uh, the girls know, our, I have a three-year-old and a four-year-old, and they know, they, they think it's so funny. There's a raccoon there, and they walked up one day up their stairs, and the raccoon's just sitting there on the trash can. And, and uh, like, of course, it freaked them out. But the um, problem with raccoons is, like, they're, I think they're really cute. I think they're really cute. I'd like to hug one. Problem is, they scratch and bite and have rabies, right? Uh, <laughs> so not a good idea. Um, other problem is they tear up homes. Like our next door neighbor has a hole in their roof, uh, in the corner of their roof that a family raccoons live in. And they don't want to do anything about it. For whatever reason, they're, they're happy with their raccoons in, in their roof. Happy with them scratching at night, happy with them, uh, I mean, yours like chewed through your wires, right? Your AC unit and stuff like that. Like they destroy things. Raccoons are a big problem. And in our city too, raccoons are semi-protected. 
if not fully protected. <laughs> like, you can only move a raccoon so far from its nest. Um, but what do you think happens? Like, by law, you can only move it so far, but it just comes right back. Um, a lot of services give, like, a year warranty on raccoons not coming back, but uh, they come back. So, uh, the problem is we only put them so far and then, and then they can find their way home easily. Um, <laughs> this was last year's, or a few months, anyways, Simon was over one day and, um, Emerson was in the refrigerator, which doesn't happen a whole lot, but she had this, like, this ball of mozzarella covered in plastic, right? It hadn't been opened yet. And she's, like, biting the outside of it. Like, she's like, oh, cheese. And Simon walked by and he was like, what are you doing? <laughs> you should, probably shouldn't be buying that. She looks up at him. She's like, I'm a raccoon. I eat trash. <laughs> I'm a raccoon. I eat trash. And that was it. Sam was like, okay. Um, our problem is we like to eat trash. And we're not, we don't only like raccoons. We've become raccoons. We don't just have raccoons in our life that are destroying things. We actually like to eat trash. We like it. Think about this. Use this as a filter. Would what you're listening to, with, would what you're watching on TV, movies, on the street, with who you're spending time with or what you're spending your time doing, if you were to filter it through the word of truth that, that Jesus just says makes us a particular people, how much of that would be left? How much of God's presence would be left? How much would be left that's worthy to ingest? I mean, everyone was raving about the halftime show from the Super Bowl this past week. Take that halftime show, filter through God's word, how much of that will be left for us that's healthy and beneficial for us to ingest as believers? The scriptures have become something we don't, they're, they're one segment of our life. They're not what we use to filter things through. And it's not just, and I'm not saying that we have to read our Bibles all the time. We have to spend prayer, solitude and, and prayer all the time. But are those bad things? Are those things we should want to do? Instead, we're satisfied with watching this movie that has a whole bunch of junk in it from our culture that actually does makes us look at manhood differently and elevates success, elevates fulfilling sexual desire, um, and doesn't elevate the work that God's doing in us. And men, I'm sick of pornography. In the past few weeks, I've had people tell me, pornography has got my life, it's just wrapped around me and it's strangling me. I'm sick of it. Like, I'm sick of hearing about it. Not that you shouldn't tell me your problems and I want to help you. We want to help you. 
but it shouldn't have that stranglehold on us. It's ruining our marriages. It's ruining our relationships. It's dictating men's ministry. It's dictating accountability. And it shouldn't be all about pornography. I'm sick of us men thinking that we are enfeebled creatures who are visually oriented and we just can't help ourselves. That is not true. That is not who we are if we are in Christ. We have the power of God in us. And pornography should not cripple us like that. It's trash. You are eating trash. You might as well have someone chew up your food and then throw it up in your mouth. That's what you're ingesting. And I'm, and I'm tired of how it takes our men and cripples us so much and strangles Christ out of us and quenches the spirit in us. Do you know why Jesus says if lust is an issue in your life that you need to cut off your hand if your hand is causing you to sin and gouge out your eye if your eye is causing you to sin? Those are huge, powerful words. Why does he say that? It's because this is war and we're losing the battle. The enemy is winning the battle of pornography. We need to be able to talk about sex in a healthy way and instead we're okay with listening to something that, that, uh, that elevates sex in an unhealthy way. We're okay with watching things that elevate sex in an unhealthy way and we don't even realize what it's doing to our soul. So men, hear this right now. You are a particular people. You're not of the world. You have the word of truth in you. And you are sanctified and made holy, and you are sent to do that for other people. You can't do that if you're living in the muck. Get out of the muck. Stop eating what's in the pigsty. And the food is so much better in the Father's house. There's a celebration that's waiting for us in the Father's house. Stop messing around with the pigs. Now, if you have an issue with pornography, still come talk to me about it. <laughs> we want to help you. But I'm going to say the same things to you. You're settling for not what is second best, but for what is trash. And you don't need that in your life anymore. It's crippling every area of your life. Second thing, so that's particularity. That's who we are as men. Second thing is integrity. What should men be? That's kind of the question that's guiding this. What should men be? We should be men of integrity. We should be people of integrity. Um, integrity is a, uh, can mean a few different things. So let's talk about oneness at first. So if you look at verses 20 through 23, um, let me just read this to you. He says, Jesus again speaking to his father. He says, I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, 
Notice how many times he talks about this, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, oneness. That they also may be in us, oneness, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, oneness, that they may be perf- that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and I love them even as you loved me. Oneness. Jesus here says that oneness depends on our relationship with the Father. We have oneness when we are in Christ in his relationship with the Father. Okay? Um, we can and should be perfectly one as Jesus is perfectly one with the Father here. Uh, this means that oneness eliminates some things in our lives. Okay? Oneness eliminates duplicity. Oneness eliminates the, the, uh, the tendency we have to lie or to make ourselves look better than we are. Um, oneness should eliminate your pub, uh, distinction between your public and private life. Okay? Um, how are you in, in private versus the way you are in public? Um, I mean, they, oneness should eliminate that distinction. Okay? Now, there's some things you do in private that you don't do in public, like if you're married, you know what I'm talking about, um, <laughs> uh, with your wife. Okay? Uh, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about individually. Like public and private life, some of you guys are, are different when you're in private as opposed to when I see you here on a Sunday morning or when you meet me for coffee because you think, oh, I've got to act different. I'm around um, a pastor or something like that. Um, oneness eliminates that. Uh, and, and creates a, an environment for transparency, okay? Um, and it means we have nothing to hide because we're in the light of Christ. But integrity also means uh, integration. What does it look like, for instance, to have your job, your profession, your career integrated with your faith? What does it look like to have your faith uh, integrated with your family? Um, for instance, uh, we, around, when we sit down for dinner um, as a family, um, which happens a few times a week, we teach our girls to pray. So we've taught them to pray for, um, to just thank, thank God uh, for things. We taught them to um, uh, pray for themselves. And now we're teaching them to pray for other people. They're three and four years old. Um, they have the most, they have the sweetest, most profound prayers uh, I've ever heard sometimes, sometimes. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So the first time we did this, uh, I said, hey, Emerson and Reagan, you can pick whoever you want to pray for. Um, uh, Emerson picked Val, and she prayed for Val. She thanked God for Val and said, I, I miss Val, and I wish she would babysit me more and let my mommy and daddy go out on dates. <laughs> Something to that effect. I may have added a couple of things, but it was something like that. Um, and Reagan picked Adam, and uh, Adam's like their their best bud. Um, so Reagan picks Adam, and uh, she said, "God, thank you for Adam. I pray that he has a good Christmas." This was like two weeks ago. Pray that he has a good Christmas. Amen. <laughs> so Christmas is coming in another ten months. You're going to have a good one. Uh, Reagan prayed for it. So, um, 
That's how you integrate faith with family. That's just an example. Um, are your friends integrated with your faith? Are your friends integrated with your family? What does integration look like in your life? Is your family one part of your life, your friends another part, your job another part, uh, your faith another part? That's not integrity. Integrity is wholeness, it's oneness, it's, it's integration. Here's another question to, to evaluate that. What controls most of your life? I think if you're a follower of Jesus, you would hope to say your faith. But I think if you're honest with yourself, a lot of you would say maybe your job. Uh, or maybe your marriage. Um, and that's a good thing. Like Those are good things, your job and your marriage. But when they're controlling you over your relationship with Christ and the Father, that's when, a, that's when we've taken this and put it above God and made it an idol. So uh, use those questions to, to evaluate. Uh, integrity, and again, integrity isn't a specifically male characteristic. I mean, uh, Deuteronomy 6 talks about integrity. The Shema talks about how, how our God is one. Uh, the Lord our God is one. And this is really, this was really key, especially in this time, especially now it is, but uh, Israel had become this nation that was among, <coughs> that was among other nations. And they served many, 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 many gods. So they'd have a god for uh, agriculture. They'd have a god for rain. They'd have a god for sex. They'd have a god for uh, everything. And so when Moses comes on the scene, he says, no, our God is one. He's God over all those things. That was huge. That's huge in our city. When we say, no, our God is one, he's over all those things. Um, and we need to live as people like that. And uh, like I said, integrity isn't a specifically male characteristic. Um, women, you need to have integrity as well. Uh, but integrity is a characteristic that men need to display in leadership. Men, you are called to lead in specific ways in the church, in specific ways in your family, in specific ways in your neighborhood, in specific ways in your job, uh, in specific ways among your friends and social situations. Um, and integrity is vital for that. Um, and being a man of integrity really means pursuing this relationship with the Father, one in the Father. The question that a lot of us deal with is, well, how do we take unhealthy desire, you know, putting our job and letting that control us or, um, or you know, not integrating things? How do we take unhealthy desire or evil desire um, and, re and, and, and replace that? Like, what do we do? Um, what we need to do is, is replace our desires are unhealthy, which are generally fleeting desires. They're, they're ephemeral. They're here, today, they're here today. They're gone tomorrow. Uh, we need to take those desires and replace them with the only one who can fulfill all of our desires, the eternal one, Jesus Christ. Uh, it sounds really churchy and theological and how do you even do that? But it's actually pretty simple. It's pretty, it's almost simplistic um, that it's that easy, that our faith is that easy just to, just to lean into Christ. And it's really just putting good things in us. It's using that filter. It's not quenching the Spirit's work in our lives. It's saying, yes, all things may be permissible, but are all things beneficial? 
the, the answer to that question is no, by the way. Not all things are beneficial. Um, we keep on making the Christian life harder than it needs to be. Because we keep on ingesting things that we shouldn't ingest. And it's working against the Spirit's work in our lives. Proverbs 20, 5-7 says that uh, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. Deep waters. Um, purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. Uh, but a man of understanding can draw it out. Okay? Transparency. This is cultivating an environment of transparency. And then it says, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. The, the contrast here isn't between love and faithfulness. It's between someone who proclaims that love, but doesn't live it out in reality. He says, if you're going to proclaim steadfast love, which is the type of love that God shows his people Israel, that is persevering, that is always pursuing, that is never ending, that is always there, then you need to be a faithful man. And then he says, the righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. And so he's pointing out that a man needs to be a man of understanding. He needs to be a man who uh, is uh, cultivating this environment of transparency. And then he also needs to be a man of faithfulness, of steadfast love, and then of integrity. A righteous man is also a man of integrity. And he blesses those after him. So being a man of integrity means pursuing those things in God's heart. Last thing. Let's talk about particularity, integrity. Now let's talk about intimacy and presence, okay? Uh, a couple of you guys, when I just said intimacy, you went, Ugh. Um, That's like how we react to intimacy a lot of times as men. Um, for those of you women who are having troubles with your husband in terms of intimacy, um, it's because a lot of us haven't been taught how to be intimate. We haven't been taught by the church. We haven't been taught by our fathers. Uh, we haven't been taught by our culture. We've actually been taught poorly by our culture or taught poorly by our fathers or taught poorly by the church. Um, but intimacy is, is a huge part of who we are as men and who we need to be and what we need to model for other men and, and for the women uh, in our lives. So a couple things here that Jesus talks about in verses 24 through 26. He talks about knowing. He says, I know you, Father. You know me. They know that I know you. You know that I know them. And it's just like all these no's. Um, and then he talks about uh, love and desire. He says, my one desire is that they would know you. And then he ends it in verse 26 by saying, uh, you love me, and then I've loved them, and I'm in them. So a couple things on knowing. Knowledge, we think a lot of times, is up here. Uh, when the Bible talks about knowledge, it's talking about something that's experienced. Not something that's cognitive, but something that is lived out and that's experienced. Okay, um, So here in the New Testament, that's what it's referring to. And this is what presence is. Okay, last, time we talk, last week we talked about physical intimacy a little bit. Um, and I mainly focused on touch. Uh, but physical intimacy isn't just about touch. It's about presence. It's about being somewhere. It's about being in the same location. Um, and it's about experience. Okay? Uh, that doesn't need to happen through touch. But also, 
presence doesn't just happen when you're sitting next to each other on the couch necessarily, if you're doing different things. Uh, presence is intentional, it's intimate, it's imminent, it's, it's there. Um, but one of, our, one of our biggest problems as men is that we don't know how to do this. We don't know how to act on healthy desires. We don't know how to love. Um, like I said, we haven't been taught properly how to do this. So, um, and what, what our culture has done is made being a man, what we say, oh, being a man, uh, you know, like just think of phrases in our culture, um, man up or why don't you, I probably shouldn't say this, but why don't you grow a pair? I don't know, can I say that in church? Like, um, that just happened. Uh, like, um, we have these phrases like what being a man means and it's, it's implicitly weaved into manhood, this, this bravado and this, uh, this macho persona. Um, like even now I'm standing like this. I like straightened up since I started talking about this. Like, and I'm like putting out my chest like a rooster or something. Like that's, <laughs> like we, that's what we think about, about manhood. That was like totally subconscious that I did that. Um, but that's what our culture has raised us and that's what it's taught us. Um, and we've made being a man mutually exclusive with intimacy. Because we've said, oh, real men don't cry. Real men don't, um, don't share their feelings, things like that. Uh, when my dad, when he was probably around, he was a little younger than me. I think he was in late, he was in his late twenties. Um, he was stationed in Thailand. Yeah, late twenties, stationed in Thailand. Um, and that's where he met my mom. And so, uh, he was with the Air Force, stationed there, and he was, uh, he had a lot of Thai people working, working with him and under him. Uh, so he, he had a lot of Thai friends that, um, they would go out to the bars with, things like that. Uh, so he's walking down the street one day with his Thai friend, and they're just walking, you know, and, uh, all of a sudden his friend holds his hand. And my dad like pulls away really quickly, of course, because he's, he's like Western American, you know, he pulls away and he's like, probably about to punch the guy, right? He's like, what are you doing? And the guy tries to explain to him, this is a sign of friendship. Like, this is how like best friends act. And my dad was just totally, he didn't know what to do with that. He never held hands with another man. Um, his father was actually like absent in his life. Um, which if you've met my dad is pretty amazing because he's, uh, he's just amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, he wasn't like that before he became a believer. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, he didn't know what to do. And, but that's like typical of manhood in Canada, in the West. Um, we, we can't handle intimacy like that. Like I would never walk down the street holding Gable's hand. Um, uh, <laughs> Maybe we should try it. Um, but because we're afraid of what that would say about us, right? Because we're afraid of what we're, but even so, let's, let's say I want to be intimate and put my, put my arm around his shoulder and walk down. Um, like, I'd actually be cool with that. Uh, shoulder, not waist. <laughs> but it's because we're afraid of what, what that's going to say. And, and we've, we need to take these social societal constructs and not be afraid any longer about being men of God. Um, think about this. Uh, oh, man. Okay. 
Just one more thing. No, a couple more things. So think about this. In sports, male intimacy is completely different on the field than it is in real life. We're spanking butts. We are um, holding, doing the Tom Brady and holding like the guy's face next to our face. Like I would never take Adam and like hold his face next to my face and just like yell in it. Um, you know, in, in sports, like you jump into each other's arms and you're like, yeah, and you're like holding him up. Like I only do that to to my wife. <laughs> Never done that to to another guy. Um, but once it's off the field, oh well, we can't do that anymore. Um, and so we've we've even secluded male intimacy in different ways. Uh, I'm gonna skip the quote, but I'm gonna summarize this quote. Oh, I'm gonna skip the quote. I'm gonna summarize it. Um, basically, uh, there's this quote by a guy named Bob Hamp. He's been in council for years, and he says the the number one problem we have as men is that we've, we're fatherless. The number one problem is fatherlessness. We haven't had someone teach us these things. Um, and we struggle with, and this quote is actually really awesome. I should, no, I'm not going to read it. No, it's long. But he talks about things that we struggle with as men that we forget. Insecurity, that women don't even know sometimes. Insecurity, loneliness, fear, uh, lack of confidence, um, our society has made those like women issues, and those aren't women issues. Those are people issues. Um, insecurity and fear and loneliness. We just deal with them in different ways. We deal with them in a man way, and then we're not going to cry, and we're going to isolate ourselves and live the bachelor life or whatever. Um, and women deal with them in a completely different way. Um, and that's a generalization, of course, right? Um, so the key is... Our relationship with the father. Uh, last thing, last illustration. Um, there's a guy named Matt Chandler. I don't know if you guys know who he is. He's a pastor in Texas. Uh, he has like an 11,000 member church or something like that. Um, uh, he's, he's actually got a really cool story. If you want to look him up, he had a brain tumor a few years ago that he was supposed to die from and he's fully recovered from. Um, and in his 30s, uh, fully recovered from. Um, so anyways, I was, I was in this urinal going to the bathroom one day and, <laughs> and guess who's standing next to me? Matt Chandler. And I didn't really know who Matt Chandler was at that point, but I look over and I recognized him. Uh, hey, for you ladies, it might be weird that you guys look over. I don't know. I wasn't like looking over. I was just like, hey, he's like 6'5", guys. So I'm like looking up actually, okay? I'm not even looking down. I'm looking up. So, <laughs> so I meet him. Um, we didn't shake hands or anything. He did pat me on the back, which was a little awkward because um, he hadn't washed his hands yet. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um... One of the ways that uh, Matt Chandler shares, <laughs> one of the ways that he shares the gospel and, uh, is, <laughs> okay, let's, let's simmer down now. Let's come back here. <laughs> let's focus. One of, the, <laughs> one of the ways Matt Chandler shares the gospel to complete strangers is um, he, he asks them, like on an airplane, for instance, he says, hey, what do you do for a living? And they say, oh, well, I do this. And then they have to reciprocate, right? So they say, well, what do you do? And he says, well, I teach hedonism. And they're like, what? What do you mean? And he says, well, I, I teach that 
our best life is in Christ and he's come to give us the abundant life and that's actually living a hedonistic lifestyle. And uh, and he doesn't say this, but the problem with our culture is we've taken hedonism and couched it in sin. And the problem with you men is you want to live this hedonistic lifestyle and you want to fulfill pleasure and you want things in this life, in this world, but really, instead of living a hedonistic lifestyle, you're living a masochistic lifestyle. You're self-inflicting pain. You're ingesting things that are harmful to you. And we enjoy it, unfortunately, while we're doing it. And the big issue is afterwards, we hate it. And then we hate ourselves. And then we beat up ourselves. And we don't live in grace. We live in condemnation. And Jesus says there's therefore now no condemnation in me. Ben, you guys can come up. There's no more condemnation. But we're enjoying this lifestyle. I, um, this, this sermon really, God just used it to, um, build a lot into me over this past week and, and, um, just at one point, like, just wrecked me. Uh, I keep on falling into this perpetual sin. Um, like, even last night. Uh, <laughs> and a few weeks ago, I just asked the Father, why? Like, why do I keep on doing this? Why does this keep on happening? And I said, I know, I know. It's because I'm a sinner. And that's what we do. We're sinners. And it was like this defeatist mentality. Like, oh, we're just sinners and that's what we do. And the Spirit just whispered, that's not who you are. You aren't that person any longer. You are more than a conqueror. And I've defeated those things. And he said, that's not whose you are. You are, the, you are a son of heaven. You are a son of the living God. You are a co-heir with Christ. As Bob Hamm says, to, to take this universe and steer it alongside me. That's who you are. Choose life. And we have this ability to choose life. We keep on choosing death. When we can choose life, and it's so easy for us to choose life, even though death is like crouching at our doorstep and we think it's so accessible, and we keep on reaching out for it because it's this raccoon that we haven't put far enough away that keeps on coming back and destroying our lives. But he says the life of Christ is in you.
You have it. Choose it. You don't have to live in uh, condemnation. You don't have to live in uh, an unrepentant state. You don't have to live in depression or anxiety. You don't have to live in a state of unforgiveness or a state that doesn't have grace. Grace is there for you. And man, I want you to hear this. And this is the Apostle Paul speaking from Romans 13. He says, these are just really, uh, these just really powerful words. He says, the time has come for you to wake from sleep. The hour has come for you to wake up. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off these works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ so that you make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That's masculinity. That's true manhood. That's the biblical basis for who we are as men. Integrity, intimacy, truth, particularity. Live out in those things through Jesus Christ in your relationship with the Father. Lord Jesus, thank you that you modeled uh, what it means to be a man for us. We are so far from it. I am so far from it. But thank you for reminding us this morning that we are a, a people of particularity. We are a people made to, to live in intimacy. We are men who have the word of truth, who experience you, who know you, who get to live that out and model it for those around us, who have been sanctified and sent men of understanding, men of faithfulness, men of integrity, men of steadfast love, men of transparency. I pray all those things over us right now. Lord Jesus, we just exalt you, for we know that when you are exalted, we are exalted. Pray that you do your work in us right now, Spirit, in this time. We ask in your name. Amen.